0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Carlos Gonzalez de Velambrosia, founder and CEO at Product School. In this episode, we talked about the evolution and future of product management, the motivation and story behind building Product School, and why Carlos believes retention is the future for sustainable growth. Carlos also then shares how they retain their students, how he set out to build such an amazing community, and how it adds value to their business and keeps students coming back. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. And here's today's episode. Hey, Carlos, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Carlos is the founder and CEO of Product School, the global leader in product management training with a community of over 1 million product professionals. Carlos is also a member of Young Presidents Organization and Leaders in Tech. And prior to Product School, he was the co-founder and CEO of Flock, the largest marketplace for online courses in Latin America. So my first question for you, Carlos, is, What's the biggest shift you've seen in product management from the time you started product
1: school to today? Yeah, so a lot of things. I started this company seven years ago when product management wasn't cool, as I always say. So a lot of people would ask us around, is this project management? Or do I need to know how to code? Do I need an MBA? So there was a lot of confusion in general because this wasn't that mainstream. Seven years forward with a pandemic in between, Obviously, this is in a whole different space. We've seen an explosion of just digital transformation and beyond tech companies and beyond Silicon Valley. So the role of the product manager is at the table. In many cases, the companies have a chief product officer that is literally an executive at the same level as chief marketing officer or a chief technology officer. And that's elevating the role in general. That's also creating much more opportunity uh, for people because No, you don't need to be a software engineer. And no, you don't need an MBA in order to build excellent products.
0: Yeah, very interesting. And I I definitely recall as all those moments back in the day when it was like, what is a product manager, product management? Like you always got into these discussions. What do you actually do? And and I like the point making is now we have C-level roles uh, in the space and uh, it probably didn't uh, really, weren't really that prevalent uh, seven years ago. Where do you see like product management going from here? So obviously you have a unique advantage of seeing like having a close year to so many different product managers coming in. What are some of the trends you're seeing now going forward uh, for product management?
1: So we actually published a report called the future of product management. And this is really helpful for us to identify trends and just tap into our community and and see how they're seeing those, those opportunities. But at a high level, product management is here to stay. So this is not like a COVID bump. This is definitely an absolutely strategic role in any organization that is driving innovation and, and change. So we're seeing more and more companies not only elevating product people to, to different areas of the organization, including the, the C-suite. A lot of CEOs actually come from a product background. So that's really impacting the entire culture of these organizations. They they are becoming more product-led, which is another key word that you probably um, are tired of, of listening. Because that means that now organizations understand that product doesn't come at the end. It's not that the sales team will say something using a PowerPoint and then full product team is going to try to deliver on the promise that someone made over the phone. No, the product is your entire company. And, and it's part of the entire user journey, even before the user pays for your product, which that means is that users are now much more educated on what they want because they have more options. They have the internet. So they need to be able to go to your website. They need to be able to check you out online and other sources. They want to actually use your product. In many cases, we see how these companies are offering a free version or even a, a free trial, which is really relevant. So when those users come and need to talk to sales for an upgrade, they are in a much educated position. And that means that that's more efficient. And ultimately, that gives you more buy-in internally because it's not that, oh, someone who's going to sign a check for a product is never going to use it. In this case, we're seeing how this bottom-up approach where the users are using the product before they request a purchase, it's actually a much more efficient model for everybody, both consumers. And another macro trend that we are seeing is the the no-code environment. We're seeing more and more uh, tools becoming visual, which means that, you don't really need to be a software engineer or a data scientist in order to make sense of data or be able to build something. So those trends combined are really pushing the industry forward.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to, to bring both of those uh, trends up. I think no-code definitely with recent news as well a bubble raising over 100 million, there's huge investment going now into the space. And uh, for good reason, I think if you've played around with some of these tools, I think Webflow is one of those ones, I think that gets uh, jump bunched into the no-code uh, space. And I think for myself personally, like the I've built with it, like, you can see you could almost build anything eventually with just a little bit more logic added uh, to the flow. Uh, you could actually end up generating some really cool apps. And I, I think that is the general direction web flow is flowing in, if I have to uh, take that. But it'll be interesting to see what they start moving in the next few years or what they start coming up with. So, Kolosak, like, talk us through a little bit about the idea behind Product School, like When it started, what was the motivation? I think obviously there's like a a thread I can see pulling between like the previous uh, experience with Flock. But why product school? What was your motivation back then?
1: So Product school is a solution to my own problem. I come from an engineering background and I soon realized that I didn't want to to spend the rest of my life coding. Unfortunately, I didn't even know my options. I I come from Spain and I remember studying computer science, raising my hand, saying, what if I don't want to be a software engineer? Oh my God, that's not possible because I signed up for a four-year degree and everyone around me seems to be okay with that career path. So I didn't even know how to leverage my technical background in a different way. It's only until I came to Silicon Valley, I started, I went to business school in Berkeley I First of all, had two breakthroughs. One is I met many other engineers that were thinking business, which was really refreshing. But I also met a lot of business folks that wanted to work in tech, and they were feeling very intimidated by not having a technical background, talking about management consultants, marketers, people in ops. So here we were, two different groups of people trying to tackle the same problem, which is we want to be in between worlds. We want to know enough about tech to be dangerous, but we also want to know enough about business. We want to build. And both engineering school and business school weren't really optimized for that. So that's ultimately what led me to create a product school, which is a a hybrid that takes the best of both worlds and trains people on on how to get a job in product and do it in a much more efficient way than traditional education. Because my year, my business school program was a two-year, full-time, too expensive And didn't even have a single subject on product management or digital marketing, data analytics, a lot of the skills that a lot of people in tech use on a daily basis. So in product school, we do the opposite. It's a two-month part-time program on weeknights or weekends, so people don't have to quit their jobs. It's obviously much more cost-efficient. And the, the secret sauce is that the instructors are not teachers. They are product leaders who are actively working at some of the best companies in Silicon Valley, like Google, Facebook, Airbnb, or Netflix.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think for me, this has always been a challenge with universities and degrees, especially in the tech space is that things are evolving and changing so fast that it's almost impossible to keep up and adapt from a university perspective to update the curriculum, to change things, but really like where you're focusing on inside experts, like working in these roles day to day, you can really bring those best practices directly to uh, the students as they're happening, as they're learning them. I think that's excellent. So Switching topics a little bit into the context of the show and Churn FM, when it comes to thinking about retention and Churn, How much of the training goes into this and what sort of uh, things are you talking about in these
1: courses with your uh, students? We talk a lot about different things, including retention, of course. So um, we have three different levels of certification depending on where uh, the student is. So we have one for aspiring PMs that want to get that first PM job. And then we have two more for experienced PMs that want to get a promotion. But in, in actually all three certifications, we cover this topic because I believe it's the future of how businesses are going to grow in a sustainable way. If you look at a funnel and and break it down into different levels where top of the funnel is like acquisition, right? Like new users that sign up. Retention is the next level. is making sure that those users come back. The actual effort to acquire a new user is exponentially higher than the effort to retain an existing user if obviously you provide value. So examples of incredible retention models can be, outside of tech, like Costco, for example, where most of the people need to buy a membership and that gives them access to the store. And the the churn rate actually is incredible. I think it's so low that they can assume that the lifetime value of the user is going to be for at least nine or 10 years. So if you think in those terms, you can then... You can you change the entire perspective of your business because it's not just about oh, I'm going to have just sales people closing a deal and then customer support answering questions at the end. The sales process or like the engagement with the user it, it goes across every single step of the funnel. And that is important for product managers because they are also owning that funnel these days and, and even though they might not report for revenue, they need to be very smart around how to prioritize the features that are going to make biggest impact on the lifetime value of their customers.
0: Yeah, I think you spoke to a lot of it as well when it comes to retention and especially in subscription businesses as well. Like that is your business, you have a subscription and if people aren't renewing that subscription, there's no business, but really it is like, It's the biggest growth lever you can pull because like, once you have that mindset, like you said, of eight to nine years, knowing that a customer is going to stick with you, that sort of opens up a whole lot of other opportunities on the other end. It's okay, my lifetime value goes up like eight, nine X now. That means I can spend eight, nine times more to acquire customers. I can push competitors out of channels. I can really buy spaces which others can't because I have really strong retention. So it really has this compounding impact all around the business, which is unbelievable, And it's obviously why I, I love the topic so much. And the show and SAS in general. But you mentioned Costco as an example of like how we can have this retention mindset. And I'm interested from your perspective as a school, like how are you thinking about retention and not really having a subscription service yet? I think that might be something on the plans, but how do you approach like thinking about how to keep your customers, your students uh, coming
1: back? That's a great question because traditional education hasn't been particularly great at retention. We come from a world where we are supposed to study full-time until our mid-20s and then stop and get a full-time job until we die. Yep. And that's pretty much it. Maybe some people come back for business school, but that's pretty much it. The concept of lifelong learning, assuming that you are constantly growing, you can't stop. And the fact that you studied something 10 years ago is an anecdote today. It's still not there yet for a lot of people. So that's definitely something that we are trying to incentivize at product school. First of all, because our training is for professionals, they are already in the system and, and they recognize that the same way they can allocate time for working out, being with their family, or being with their friends, it's also good to spend some time just to invest in yourself. And so, with that being said, obviously, um, because we have different certifications at different levels, we've seen students who got one program, then once they ended up landing their first job, then they came back because they wanted to take that next step. And, and I like that option to create a menu instead of trying to stick everything down people's throat at a point in their career where the content might not be that relevant. So yeah. we, we try to make it more flexible. but regardless, I think of Pro school as a community and not so much as a business or even as an education provider. Community means that we are all in this together and that not everyone learns the same way. Yes courses are, are a good way in some cases, but there are many others. You can be reading books, it can be attending conferences, it can be mentoring, you name it. And that's all okay. The point is, it's important to be in a safe space where you know that you are with peers who share similar interests that are going in this journey together, where you can l- sometimes learn, sometimes teach, and sometimes pick the right resources at the right time. And And I'm very Excited about this because I didn't have access to a community or to the right mentors when I grew up. That's why I said that this is a solution to my problem. I'm really, literally building the, the school that I wish I had when I was getting started. And over 90% of the resources that we provide to the community are absolutely free and available right now.
0: Very nice. Like scratching your own itch, then. I think the community aspect is really, really powerful and it's a retention lever in its own right, in the sense that I think. What you alluded to as well is that uh, the typical sort of uh, model of shipping people into school, degree, go to job and then continue working, that model is like from the factory line uh, days and things are changing and the world's evolving fast, you need to continue learning, but you also don't want to like just shove a whole bunch of courses down your throat that they may not be ready for. It reminded me as well of like similar challenges when it comes to retention of different companies of when you don't have the frequency there where it's not like a daily act or monthly act, week act, where it might be like, I need to learn this piece of information today. And in three years from now, I'm going to be looking for promotion and I'm going to or six months or 12 months. So it's unpredictable, but I like what you do with the community aspect is it really like you come in, you do a course, but then you have this community afterwards, you have this like-minded. So you're still keeping product school top of mind, fresh so the next time they want to come back to do something, they remember, okay, I'm getting all this great content, I'm learning fantastic, and they have these ways. And how much of that is like uh, part of your thought
1: process in terms of like how to keep
0: the community around and the customers coming back? That's core to my
1: values. And I started with the community mind since the very beginning. So I remember back in the day, I was hosting all the workshops myself, they were all free And we continue doing that right now. We do around a thousand events per year. They're all free. We host conferences, we produce books, we have a job board, we have discussion forums and different other resources. I believe in, in adding value because I don't think you can fake retention. Maybe you can fake user acquisition in some cases with some hacks, but you cannot treat the user constantly. At some point, if the user doesn't get value, they're not going to come back. Yeah. So I think it's the way I approach business is as a community. I want to make sure that every single interaction that you have with us, you get something out of it. And I really don't expect anything in return. I think that's the beauty of building community. Now, I know that in order to build a sustainable business, there has to be some sort of business model. So in our case, we chose education. So for people who are more committed, and they really need that extra push, they can choose to Take some of our paid certifications, but truly, like anyone who wants to learn more about product, can get started, and there's no expectation to pay for anything.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I think that also comes back to the premise when it comes to churn retention. In the end of the day, like people come to you for they have a problem, they're looking for a solution. If you can provide value and you can solve that. Problem, like there's no reason for churn. So it it all comes down to delivering value. And if you're not delivering value, people can live, you can't fake it. Uh, I really like that point. I want to dive into a little bit though. And I think this is like a really interesting topic. And I think you built an unbelievable community at Product School. So maybe we can go a little bit deeper, like on those early days, like getting started, getting set up. How did you go about building such an unbelievable community? What were your first steps? Like day one, you said, okay, this is a problem. I see, I want to try and solve this for myself. I'm going to go ahead and build a community. What did you do?
1: That's a fantastic question again, because being in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of pressure around growing really fast and sometimes in an artificial way. And I don't believe you can really build a strong connection with people if you are doing that. First of all, I've been bootstrapping since the very beginning, and that gave me at least control over my own destiny and make certain decisions that maybe an investor would agree with. But that just made me happy. And I just thought it was generally better for the members of our committee. So I started literally focusing on the next first, in the next customer or the next community member. I wouldn't even call it customer. So what I did was, first of all, I invested all my time. I was um, spending around two to three hours per week on quora.com answering questions about product management. There are so many there and other forums like Reddit and, and so on. And I would literally spend time to answer questions where I can see the name of the person asking. So it's not an anonymous forum where people are just saying random things. This is, I was spending time to make sure there's a quality answer and there was no catch at the end in terms of, oh, sign up for this if you want more. No, I'm giving it to you all up front. And since I wanted to start really small, what I would do in cases of those members who were in San Francisco, I would follow up with them in private, maybe via direct message or connection on LinkedIn and make sure that that answer satisfied them. Or in some cases, I offered to grab coffee because it was also part of my own user research to know how can I potentially scale that and turn this into a business. So it was a mutual relationship because first I gave, and then if someone wanted more, we could have a coffee and I would pay for coffee, by the way. But that just gave me more insights around like, why are you on that forum? Why? What's happening? What's the real problem? And and so on. So the next step for me was to start organizing some free events in coworking. I would be the speaker. So I would pick topics that I think I'm good at and I would make sure that there's also time for serendipity where imagine like a one-hour workshop on prototyping with another hour for just serendipity where we all get together and just chat. So I would do this once or twice a week in different co-working spaces in San Francisco. And you, I start noticing repeating users, people who who love it so much, they would follow me and I, I knew their names, we connected on LinkedIn, we saw each other at least once a week they started referring some of their friends to those free events. So it was really organic and very nice because we connected beyond just an online forum. Like we knew each other's family names and like what we're up to. And it was just and really like the fundamentals of community. Like yeah. Making sure that the few 5, 10, 100 people are getting value, not just from me, but from other members. And then from there, then is when I had to make the decision to, to uh, create a space for others. So I started inviting some of my friends who are product leaders at amazing companies like Google or Facebook or Optimize uh, Netflix, Airbnb. You're like, yeah. hey, I don't have time like for, to, to do everything myself. And I also think that I'm not the best. So if yeah. you can come and give a 30 minutes to 60 minutes of your life just to the community, that would be amazing. And the breakthrough for me there was that the speakers loved it. There's a lot of events out there for founders, for CEOs, for investors. But the product management committee was completely underserved. These are the real doers, but they don't have a platform to, 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 to give back. So I created that platform in a way, and that also you know, helped me realize that this wasn't just helpful for the aspiring PMs. It was also very helpful for the product leaders that wanted to, to join because the problem that I had when I was uh, younger, I wasn't the only one. Uh, yes, if you ask any PM how they broke into product, they will all give you different answers. But the common ground is that there was no product school.
0: Yeah, I love that. The whole story, like just getting started from uh, very basics as well, answering on Quora, I think it must have taken like a lot of persistence and a lot of like in the early days, like how long did it take you to start to see results, to start to see momentum?
1: I saw results almost since the beginning. The first event, I think I only had three people. Okay. But uh, the second one had 50. And that was a key moment for me because... I almost give up. Remember, after putting so much time, you set up an event, you pay money to reserve the room and everything, and then all three people, but let's make the best out of it. Actually, those three are still members of the community. So it was more about really the quality than the quantity. And, and then, of course, like it's a roller coaster. I can't say, oh, yeah, we started doing this, and now we are a rocket ship. We are humans, and we have our own struggles. But I think that, as you mentioned, that consistency and that obsession around quality And really making sure that every interaction is positive for the members is what took us today. The community today is over 1 million members.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I think it is very easy to give up at certain points. I remember like with the podcast as well, originally... I would start and I was doing it. And in the early days, people would saying, like, well, why are you doing it? What's it for? And it's something I'm learning in the process. I have a plan for it. Like, so, but how do you make money? I'm not doing it to make money. And like, why are you spending so much time not to make money? And and I even remember for the podcast, like it took probably like 50 episodes for it really to start taking off for where I felt like there was a meaningful interaction and there was things happening. But it took all of that time and like a lot of moments where I was like, ah, should I continue doing this? Is it worth the effort? Like, uh, and, but like today it's just been unbelievable what it's given back as well. And then Dan, we're chatting before the show, I launched my own company. We recently closed a pre-seed round and uh, six of the eight investors were podcast guests. Like, I never expected that to be. It was never the goal uh, sort of thing. But if you look at sort of the the ROI at the end of the day, like uh, what it's given as a platform to start the new company and new business, it's been unbelievable and from then. It goes back to what you're saying, like just really having that core focus on how can you deliver value week in, week out, how can you be consistent with it and consistent with it. and um, Nice. So you start inviting people then to this network, like product experts, What was the next step from there? Like, how did you take that jump then from these events to building product school?
1: So the next step was to create the first certification program. And I was the first instructor. I created the first version of the curriculum. And in order to break even, I only needed five or six students. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't grow or try to fake that growth. I wanted to pick five people from that small community that knew me, that trusted me, and where I trusted them, and be like, hey, I'm running a pilot. So I'm literally going to do this at cost. But it seems like you are really serious about growing your career, and you are going to spend time with me for two months when I'm going to be your coach, and I'm going to go out of my way to make this happen because you are representing my company. If I do a good job, you are going to then tell others. So that's how I started. I was the first instructor at broad school. I Probably did it for too long because it was two years on yeah. every almost all weeknights and weekends, teaching multiple cohorts of up to 10 students each in San Francisco. Oh. And I was also running the, the school, organizing the events and, and doing all the all the things that you need to do to keep the lights on. So yeah. it was intense, but it was also a good opportunity for me to learn, to get feedback directly from the users to ensure that the quality was there. And it's true, like that, best mar- the best marketing for us was word of mouth. And um, I made sure that our students really not only had a good experience in terms of the, the value of education, but they would also go out there and secure jobs and, and good interviews. And, and, and I asked them to write a review online, on Yelp, LinkedIn. So next time someone would come to me asking, who are you? I would say, why don't you check my references? Why don't you talk to one of my students? I was literally making intros. Because this is the stuff that I didn't get when I was a student. I was purchasing a master's degree based on a logo without really even knowing the subjects that I was going to take or the teachers that I was going to have. It was, I was basically reverse engineering the the poor experience that I had as a student in a traditional education.
0: Yeah, and probably if you ask like students that have gone through typical universities would they recommend it to a friend or colleague versus something like a product school which is much more tailored much more specific and focused to achieving what you're trying to achieve I'm pretty sure the NPS on both would be drastically different for sure very nice so uh, I want to have one question I ask every uh, guest that joins the show what's one thing that you uh, know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started uh, with your career
1: well that is a Something that I put a lot of time learning, especially this year, because I started this business, it was a trans- transactional business in a way that, yes, we had this community where people are, are part of and they are constantly engaging with us, but the business model was very transactional. If you want to pay for a course, then you enroll. And then if you want to take another one, then you have to come back, rethink and do it. So there wasn't really an easy path for continuous learning, for, for recurring revenue, I would say. So I'm excited that after I, I drink my own champagne, like I've been a student, I'm still a student. I, I had to tap into our network our to to learn from some of the best product leaders in subscription, Netflix, Disney Plus, and other companies. I'm like, how do you actually do it? Because I don't have all the answers. And sometimes people might expect that as a CEO, we're supposed to kind of say exact all the shots. The reality is that I don't know. But I know who to call. And that was my approach. I don't know how to create really how to make sure that we can build a best-in-class retention or recurring business. Let me ask some of the people that are really really good at it. And after all of this exploration, we came up with a potential solution, which is an alumni membership. That's something that we are going to roll out very soon. And it's all about making sure that the, the, the students who are really serious about it, who, are, who already went through a graduate, through a certification, who are certified, who they have also some, some high, really private resources to continue growing. Because one of the challenges with community as you scale is that then you need to rescale or create silos for specific members to connect. When I said that we have a million members, that might sound very impressive, but it's also very problematic because they don't know each other. So it's very important for us to make sure that we can address specific needs from community members.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And it's good. I really love the points as well that as CEO, like you don't know all the answers. So it's no point in trying to pretend you do and really focusing and leaning on the network that you have uh, to actually help build that out. And very interesting as well, like now that you've come sort of full circle uh, on this and starting to build in subscription into it, obviously seeing the value uh, that it does bring and. The one thing I love about it is just the predictability is if you manage to uh, build a good subscription business, it gives you a much like stronger predictability in terms of knowing where your business is going and planning for it and not relying on these transactional nature where it's uh, you're not sure what's going to happen with the next sale or things like that.
1: uh... Exactly. It helps you plan long-term because you know that there's a certain long lifetime value and that gives you, as you say, more possibilities to invest in better, better community or more technology, growth for your team. It just changes the entire perspective around how to operate your business.
0: Your business, yeah. Cool, I'll say one last question. I see we're running up on time. I'm intrigued as well now, like you've built an unbelievable community. You've explained like one of the challenges now, maybe growing too big and that also creates some. News. But if you had to start again and do this all over and start the community and build it, would there be anything you'd do differently?
1: So I definitely like the, the, the part of starting really small and spending a lot of time with the users to make sure that the, the product is there. And at the very beginning, the product was me. So instead of just investing in building something and then trying to see if it sticks, like the more we can do upfront, the better. Uh, but one thing that I probably stayed too long doing everything myself, and I learned the hard way Over time, that the value of delegating and maybe spending more time on building a best-in-class team than trying to do everything myself. So now I also have a family. When I started, I was uh, single, uh, so I'm married with two kids, and that was really an important lesson because I used to believe that I only had time to work and that everything else would be a distraction, and that's not true. At least in my case, I am a much happier and healthier person knowing that I have different aspects of my life and that if i want to perform at the highest level in all of them i need to i need to say no to a lot of things and that means that i either don't do them at all or i find someone to do them but giving myself to be a superhero is is not a good long-term solution
0: Absolutely. Cool. Well, Carlos, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. I've really, really enjoyed this uh, conversation. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with, like anything they should be aware of for your work or how can they keep up to speed with what you're working on?
1: Thank you. I enjoyed the conversation as well. If anyone wants to continue the conversation offline with me, I'm pretty active on social media, especially LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there and ask any questions.
0: Very cool. Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Carlos. It's been a pleasure chatting to you today and wish you the best of luck uh, going forward. Thank you. Bye. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you are able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts and more, Subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to Andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.